0: I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there will be no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I will follow Paul, and another, I will follow Apollos, And another, I will follow Cepheus. Still another, I will follow Christ. Sorry if I'm winded here. I took some Benadryl from the hives. (laughs) Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God I did not baptize any of you except Crippius and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas beyond that. I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with the wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. While I'm up here, I want to thank all of you. All of you for all your prayers. Our strong uh, prayer group. Um that have stood by not just me, but everybody else in this church that are going through things. And um, it's just a blessing to belong to this church.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nita. And uh, Albert is also with us, if you noticed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, speech, speech. <laughs> no. Uh, we praise God for, uh, for everything He is doing, the healing that He is working out. We continue to pray for those who aren't able to be here yet, and uh, for those who are still uh, physical distancing, um, for those who are self-isolating. We, we just lift everyone else up in prayers uh, as well. And uh, Let's pray, and we will dive into the text that the Lord has for us this morning. God, we want to thank You for everything You do. We want to thank You for being so willing to come and meet with us. We do not deserve Your presence. We do not deserve Your Holy Spirit. We do not deserve to be able to open up Your Word or to read it or to glean from it together. We don't deserve to be be built up we don't deserve your son Jesus Christ we thank you for your great mercy for your grace and Lord for your taking the time to uh, to work not only for your glory but also the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose As we come to this text this morning, Lord, we ask you to open our eyes, give us ears to hear, give us minds that understand what you have to say, slow us down so we can hear you. Lord, through the proclamation of your word, give us hearts that yearn more after you. Build us into mature people. Lord, we love You. And in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, last week we talked quite a bit about division in the church and <laughs> what it meant that God is faithful, uh, that He is loyal to people He has called to Himself. And we saw how God's loyalty, His faithfulness to His people applied means that we are a loyal people and we are a devoted people to, to one another, uh, despite everything wrong with us. We are, we are a loyal people that the gospel, uh, the right understanding of the gospel and proclamation of the gospel is what confirms Christ's church and that the manifestation of the, of the Holy Spirit comes through Christ's church for the building of Christ's church. And we started getting at this idea of Christian unity. Is unity something that defines the local church? Uh, Is unity something that defines Christianity overall? Uh, How many denominations of Christians are there? How many wars have been fought over Christian doctrine in history? And how often do we look to other people who profess to be Christians, and the only thing we can do is nitpick what is being said, or done, or believed. Um, part of the human condition is this division, this creating of, of conflict. Uh, one person wants to be right, which means he feels like he has to prove everybody else is is wrong. And that creates tension, and it creates conflict. And the text today gets at Christian unity. The exhortation of First Corinthians as a whole is toward Christian unity, unity in Christ. And, and today we discover the the secret. It's not a secret. No, it's, <laughs> this this text has been around for a while, right? But we get at the secret to Christian unity. We'll see this text in two parts. Verse ten. We'll see the the exhortation, and we'll discover what exhortation is. And in verses 11 through 17, we'll see Paul's justification, why he is writing this letter to the believers at Corinth. Verse 10, Paul writes, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Paul writes to exhort the church. What... What is exhortation? That's kind of a, a word we never use, right? Brothers, let me exhort you. We don't talk like that. Uh, Paul talks like that. The word exhort is the Greek, parakaleo. Now, if you know anything about the Greek language, one of the most popular words is the word paraklete. Uh, that would be like a uh, more of an American pronunciation of the Greek word, right? Paraklete. And paraklete is used as a word to refer to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in uh, John chapter fourteen, verse sixteen, uh, Jesus says, I, "I must go, and I'm going to send you a helper, a paracletos, a Paraclete, to help you, to guide you, to counsel you, to teach you all things." And here, Paul says that he is exhorting the church, exhorting the local church, paracleto-ing the local church. Paul is. Holy Spiriting the local church at Corinth, Paul here is doing the same work that Christ sent the Holy Spirit to do—to exhort, to pericaleo his church. One of Paul's spiritual gifts is exhortation, and this word connotes a a building up. Uh, I'm, I'm doing this for the the good of the saints. This term, uh, it means teaching. And teaching in a positive way, not teaching in a negative way, but teaching in a way that encourages and builds up, doesn't tear down. That's the very thing the Holy Spirit does in the believer's heart, with the believer's brain, with our minds. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. And Paul here is saying, I'm doing that. I'm here to exhort you, I'm here to, to parakaleo you, church. I learned, first, I learned something about spiritual gifts here in this text. This is a manifestation of the Spirit. And when we exercise our spiritual gifts, no matter what those spiritual gifts are, we are doing the work of the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit working through us. It's a manifestation of the Spirit, like we learned last week. The second thing I learned is that when we exercise any gift of the Spirit, it is going to accomplish the work of the Holy Spirit, and it is going to be with the attitude of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was sent as a comforter, a guide, a teacher. And Paul here, when he exhorts the church at Corinth, it's not hellfire and brimstone. Paul doesn't doesn't have such an attitude that he means to scream at the congregation text in all caps. He's not doing that. No, Paul takes a an attitude of humility and of servanthood. So I also learned something about the Apostle Paul. How often do we get it in our heads when we read something that Paul has written that he really is just kind of letting people have it in kind of a hellfire and brimstone way? Because some of his words in the New Testament kind of seem like that. Oh, you're going to make people become Jews before they become Christians. And Paul says crazy stuff like, I wish you would just go, just cut the whole thing off if you're going to do that. And we read that and we, and we picture Paul as like this really hard-headed, a bull in a china shop, kind of like Martin Luther. And we picture Paul that way. But if Paul is exercising his spiritual gift, he has the same attitude as the Holy Spirit has—an attitude of building up, of of humble servanthood. At least while he is writing the scriptures, because the Holy Spirit is inspiring that, and the manifestation of the Spirit comes out like the Holy Spirit, and we do things with the same attitude as the Holy Spirit, in an effort to build up, not tear down; an effort to encourage, not debilitate in an effort to, to really positively instruct if our spiritual gift is exhortation or, or teaching or prophecy. The hellfire and brimstone messages, there's, there's a reason I, I don't believe those sorts of messages have any place in the church. They're not in line with the character of the Holy Spirit. They're in line with an, the character of an, another spirit. And not the Spirit of Christ not the Spirit of God, which seeks to build up and encourage not to tear down. And there are times, I'm sure, when we need to really stand our ground and be bullheaded about something, but I don't think that's the rule. I, th- I think the rule is, is humble exhortation, teaching and servants to the saints for those who have the spiritual gift of teaching. And, and that's what we see from Paul here. It's, he's pericaleoing the church. He's not preaching at them. He's speaking with them, to them. Like a servant, so that the church can understand and grow into maturity. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. He's he's speaking by Christ's authority. I exhort you by the name of Jesus, for His glory, for His name's sake. That you all agree, and there be no divisions among you. The goal of this letter to the church at Corinth is is unity. That's the goal. That's the vision of Paul through through this letter that he writes to the church at Corinth in response to something Chloe's people sent him. <laughs> that unity is achieved within the church. Uh, the church at Corinth is not a unified body, as we're going to discover moving through this text, right? But Paul's goal is to is to facilitate unity, to spur the church on to unity rather than division, that there be no divisions among the church, that they agree. And instead of having divisions, that they be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. What does this mean? That Paul desires the church at Corinth to be made complete. Um, That insinuates some kind of maturing process that maybe Paul is writing to baby believers and his desire is for them to be sanctified. Remember we talked about sanctification there are two definitions of sanctification one definition is at the moment of our conversion when Christ regenerates our hearts when the holy spirit regenerates our hearts wakes us up to the gospel we are sanctified and it's a work that is completely done we are set apart as holy in Christ's eyes we we are his church but then we are also being completed we are being sanctified being continuously made more holy so that, our, so that our actions matches what is now our identity in Christ, right? So we are identified as holy, and then this process of sanctification makes us holy, completes us. And Paul is he's wanting to do this through his letter to the church at Corinth to, to raise these these immature believers up. To make them complete. And one sign of maturity, one sign of being made complete is unity in the body. Paul connects those two things here. Unity and completeness. And he also connects disunity and incompleteness, immaturity. So like, if we are mature in our knowledge and in our and in our speech, and in our doctrine, the outpouring of that is, is actually unity in the church, according to Paul's letter here. Particularly unity in the local church. The doctrine, it, it doesn't just exist by itself. It's not something that we just think about. It's not a weird thought experiment, right? When we do men's systematic theology on, on Monday nights, that's just not some ethereal you know, thought experiment where it's like, okay, let's talk about all these weird things and give them weird definitions and big words, all right? No, when we do theology, we learn more about who God is. The more we know who God is, the more that infects our whole being. Everything we do, it was R.C. Sproul who said, what, what we believe about God is the most important thing about us. Everybody is a theologian, and according to Paul here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, like when we are mature in the faith, that maturity breeds unity. And disunity is a sign of immaturity. Be complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. This is the purpose. This is Paul's exhortation. Throughout... 1 Corinthians, Paul is going to be driving us toward that, toward, toward greater unity, greater maturity, leading to unity. Not only as a local church, but as, but as Christians who are part of the, the body of Christ, the universal church. That we may be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment amongst ourselves, but also with, with every other Christian on earth true, sincere, Christian. Do you think this is something achievable or is is this a pipe dream? What do you think? Please, let me know. I, I think it's achievable. Yeah, and not by any means of humanity, right? What are our means? I'm going to argue you into submission. I'm going to prove everything you believe to be wrong, and I'm going to prove everything I think I believe to be correct. <laughs> That's those are human methods. Those aren't the methods of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is he's guiding us to all truth. And he's working through those who have this spiritual gift of exhortation, teaching, in order to, to teach something about God, who God is and what God is doing. And he's drawing all believers into a unity of faith. One church. One <laughs> one spirit. One love. One church. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. That's the work of God and that's the work Paul is seeking to accomplish through this letter to the church at at Corinth in verses 11 through 17 we see Paul's justification he explains this is why my goal is what it is this is why i'm seeking the unity of the church at Corinth for which could also be translated because because i have been informed concerning you somebody told somebody told on you <laughs> right i have been informed concerning you my brethren by Chloe's people, and he just comes right out and says, and that's who told on you. It was it was Chloe's people. It was that group. Now here we learn <laughs> Paul had some supporters in the church at Corinth. The whole church wasn't turned against him. In fact, there was this group of people, Chloe's people, who followed Paul particularly. And Paul's going to get on to them for that. Uh, Chloe's people aren't off the hook just because they wrote Paul this letter tattling on everyone else. No, uh, it's He has some supporters and he has some people who are following him who are of Paul. And these people told on the rest of the church, Paul, you need to get on to the rest of the church that don't agree with us. That sounds like something that would probably happen today, uh, you know, when sinful people get mad about something. That there are quarrels among you. So people disagree about stuff and they are fighting about it. Causing conflict based on ideological differences. Causing conflict uh, based on uh, whether or not someone is a a Paulist or a a Cephean. Is that how you would say that? I don't know how you would say that. Right? Based on whether or not they followed uh, Paul or Apollos or Cephas. Peter. That's who Cephas is. Right? Peter. Or someone has made... Christ, a celebrity, has interpreted Christ's words a certain way and says, no, I'm of this party. I'm better than all you other guys because I just follow Christ. Paul's been conformed about this and they're making this a big issue in the church. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, or I of Apollos or I of Cephas, and I of Christ. And Paul pleads with them, Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? There's the message to Chloe's people. Paul was not crucified for you. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Now I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. Paul said, I didn't even baptize most of you. Yet you are saying you are of Paul. I only baptized two individuals in one household that I can recall. Yet you are saying you are of Paul. And some of you are saying you are of Apollos. And some of you are saying you are of Cephas. We don't have any divisions like this in the body of Christ today, do we? I am a Baptist, and I am a Presbyterian, and I am a Lutheran. And I am the Church of Christ. Divisions like... When sinful people start creating conflict instead of simply pursuing Christ, denominations divide and form. That, that happens. And it's not... I don't think it's something that honors Christ. Do you understand? Like the existence of different denominations, that happened as a result of sinful people or sometimes a denomination delving into sin and then a few good men standing up and saying we need something that actually honors Christ and forming a new denomination that way but just the existence of like different denominations that doesn't honor Christ that doesn't honor God you know what honors God the body of Christ pursuing Christ together sincerely Amen not fighting and quarreling, but instead, what, being willing to reason together and get at the truth of things rather than being selfish and defending my own theology above all else. That's what honors God. That's what honors Christ. That's why we're not afraid to partner with the other local churches. Like, we're on the same team. Christ has not been divided. There's another way we hear... We hear this, and maybe this is truer to the text. This one kind of hurts me a little bit. Are you ready? Some say they are of Augustine. Some say they are of Calvin. Some say they are of Spurgeon. Some say they are of John MacArthur. Some say they are of John Piper. Some say they are of Matt Chandler. Is Christ divided? No, He is not. Look, the the men that God has selected to make elders in His church, He selected them to do one thing, or to make sure one thing gets done. And that is tell people about Jesus. Tell people about who Christ is not to make themselves out to be spiritual gurus. And all of those men I listed just now, I, I love all of them. <laughs> and I don't agree with them on some things, but that's fine. I, I love all of them. I think they're all great expositors. But we are not of any of them. And you are not of Andrew Cannon. You are not of, of the Andrew Cannon teaching. No. We are in Christ, and we are to talk about Christ, and we are to exalt Christ, and we are to glorify the Father, and we are to, we are to teach His Word. Yet, we design, we design so many quarrels that need not be quarrels. There's another way in which this applies in our time. I am of the Republican Party and I am of the Democratic Party, don't we? Or I am of the Libertarian Party. Or I am of the Green Party. I actually don't know anybody who likes the Green Party, do you? I don't actually... But we bring, we like, we start defining ourselves according to, to politics, rather than according to Christ. And then we create, we, we create conflict that doesn't even need to exist. We are in Christ. And I have a feeling if Christ came, it would be like the battle between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and Christ would say, Neither. It's all about me, right? That's what Christ would say in the midst of of everything going on. I hear that there are quarrels among you that you are dividing yourselves in in a way that doesn't even make sense. Verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now here he's not talking about that calling that's on every believer's life like every believer is called to what go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father son and holy spirit no paul's paul's getting at his particular calling not the not the common calling the general calling that belongs to every believer his particular calling here he was called as an apostle a missionary to the gentiles so he was called to preach the gospel And look at how he describes his own preaching. Not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Let me ask you a question. Is it possible for the cross of Christ to be made void? That's an interesting wording from Paul, is it not? I was under the impression that Christ accomplished His work on the cross. That from the cross, He said, it is finished. I was under the impression that when He spoke to Peter, He said, Peter, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. They will not be able to stand against my kingdom. My word will go forth, and it will accomplish everything that I say it will accomplish. Yet Paul writes about the the cross of Christ being made void. Here's what I think is going on in this text, because obviously you can't stop the work of Christ. I mean, he's He's Lord. He's King. He's in control. Here's what I think Paul is talking about here. Since I I came to preach the gospel, Christ Christ crucified, I didn't use cleverness of language. He didn't dumb things down by any means, but he didn't use cleverness of his of his speech, philosophies of men, the arguments of people. He taught about God. He taught about Jesus Christ in an effort to exalt Christ, and so that he didn't present himself as a spiritual guru. Like, he did that purposefully, so that attention wouldn't be on him. So that it would be on Christ. You see, there there is a way we can distract people from the cross of Christ. And that's what I think Paul is getting at here. We can distract people from the cross of Christ by focusing on every every other little thing. And making church about those things that we often disagree about. We, we make an idol out of our... Eschatology, our end times views, don't we? In in the church today, we make an idol out of that and we give so much attention to that that in trying to get at the exact meaning of these particular things, we don't even consider the cross of Christ or the revelation of Jesus Christ. Instead, we're focusing on what the end of the world is going to be like. Right? We get caught up in that. And that's not the only thing we get caught up in. We get caught up in defending our doctrine. The cage stage Calvinism has no place in the church. There's somebody who like discovers these amazing truths, the doctrines of grace. Oh, cool! But then they're like, "If you don't believe that, you're going to hell." <laughs> like that—that's inconsistent. Doctrines of grace, but then you're telling that—it doesn't make sense, right? That doesn't. No, it doesn't jive with Christian belief. That is distracting people from the cross of Christ rather than ushering people into the presence of Christ. We don't want to be people who are concerned about cleverness of speech. What do you think Paul's preaching was like when he served in Corinth for a year and a half? Could you imagine what it was like to sit in and, and Justice Titius's home and listen to Paul. They're in the living room. I was standing in my living room this morning and I was like, this is not a very big space. Like, I don't know how big Titius's Justice, t- Titius' Justice's house was. But it sure doesn't seem like there's a lot of space there yet. That's where Paul preached. He preached there and he reasoned in the synagogue. I just think, what would it have been like? What was Paul's focus when he was preaching? You know that Scripture tells us in Acts chapter 18 exactly what Paul's preaching was like when he was in Corinth? Acts chapter 18, verse 4. says that Paul was reasoning in the synagogue and he was trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So when Paul talks about not using cleverness of speech he's not talking about not forming logical arguments and not reasoning and not getting at you know deep things and trying to persuade people because he did that in Corinth the difference between using cleverness of speech and doing what Paul did is not the content but it's who who the message glorifies He was trying to persuade people concerning Christ, not persuade people that he was some spiritual guru. That's the difference. Verse 11 in Acts chapter 18 says he was there a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. Uh, Teaching the Word of God. Every day he didn't stand up in the living room and simply tell people that they were sinners and call them to repentance again. He was teaching the word of God, the whole counsel of Scripture. What we refer to today as expository preaching and teaching, Paul was doing that with the church. So reasoning with them, trying to persuade them concerning Christ, and then teaching expositorily. In verse thirteen, we see that people are accusing him of persuading men to worship God contrary to the law. And in verse fifteen. <laughs> Galileo said if there are questions about words and names of your own law look after it yourself stop pointing fingers at Paul Paul was persuading people concerning Christ preaching expositorily and he was also debating people as to the meaning of the law the real meaning of the law it takes a clever person to do that Somebody who was trained in argumentation, Paul was. He was trained in Hellenistic philosophy. And he used it. When he says, I came not in cleverness of speech, he means I came not to persuade you that I was a spiritual guru. I came to point you to Christ through means of persuasion, expository preaching and teaching, and by debating the meaning of the law. I don't want you to be focused on me. I'm trying to tell you about God and what God is doing so that the cross of Christ is not made void. So, so that your attention is drawn to the cross, not to Paul. And that's what Paul is doing here. And This, this sets us up for, for the whole letter to the believers at Corinth. And our purpose walking through this letter can only be the purpose Paul has. That we become more mature than we are. That our attention is drawn to Christ rather than ourselves. We be made complete. Uh, and being made complete, we are drawn to greater unity. In our own congregation and with other Christians around the world. A unity does not mean people won't disagree about certain things. Uh, Like, I don't know, the gifts of the Spirit and the particulars concerning God's work of election. It doesn't mean people won't disagree about that. It does mean that we are all focused in the same direction. Toward Christ and seeking not to prove others wrong, but seeking to grow in our relationship with Christ, seeking to learn more from what God has given from His Word, seeking, seeking understanding rather than confirmation of our own beliefs, right? Seeking to be confirmed rather than to to uh, to confirm ourselves, something like that, right? Seeking Christ, not our own philosophies but Christ, Christ alone in all things. And that's what the Spirit leads us to do. Do you, do you understand when the Spirit is at work, the Spirit exalts Jesus Christ. When the Spirit is at work, the Spirit glorifies God. And that's the outcome. And unity is one of the first fruits of the Spirit when the Spirit is working in a, in a local congregation and in a, and in a community unity. And Paul is telling us, cling to the old rugged cross. That is where your belief is. And we can sing. (laughs) Here we go. So I'll cling to the old rugged cross. And exchange it one day for a crown. Like that's that's biblical truth. That's what 1 Corinthians is about. Remembering that, hey, we, we are humbled. We can't get on our high horses. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. That's, that's the Christian faith. One of our members asked, How is the body of Christ united in Christ's death and resurrection? And the answer, according to Paul here, just in the first chapter of First Corinthians, When we cling to the cross instead of exalting ourselves, that is where we find unity. The cross humbles people. And as we are humbled, we consider others to be more important than ourselves. We experience unity. Christ alone is exalted. He's the one who died for us. Our single united focus is Christ. If Christ is the single united focus of any church... There is no division. We are of the same mind. We might disagree on some particulars, but we are of the same mind. Christ's mind. And that's only possible through the leading and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, we come to our time of confession. Oh, hey, look at that. <laughs> that was shorter than you expected, wasn't it? <laughs> we come to our time of confession this morning. If God has convicted you in any way, if the Holy Spirit has convicted you in any way, this is time for repentance. A prayer for fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that we are of the same mind, pursuing Christ, not self, not our own philosophies, or, or what have you, but really, sincerely pursuing Christ. That's our motivation. And celebration that God gives His Holy Spirit to enable us to, to seek after Him. To cling to the old rugged cross.